welcome independent researchers, skeptics, and all of humankind, shadow citizens. Shadow citizen will explore the shadows of an alternate reality. Your host, Rachel L. McIntosh. Welcome back to another episode of Shadow Citizen. I'm your host, Rachel L. McIntosh. And today, I have an awesome guest. I saw her on with talking with Sean over at the SGT report. If you don't go to that website, you probably should. It's, it's pretty mm-hmm. cool. <laughs> her name is Lynette Zhang. And she did two videos with Sean and SGT that I was blown away with. And I had to share it on Twitter and Facebook. And then I knew I had to have her on Shadow Citizen because I'm getting, and this is just little old me, I'm getting more and more emails from listeners about where they should put their money or more correctly, how they can brace themselves. And believe me, I'm like the last person you want to talk to about where you should put your money. So I figured I should get a real expert on to talk about this. And that's what Lynette Zhang is. She is, it was in commercial banking until 1986. And then she shifted to investment banking with Larson Liam, Liam. Lehman, Shears and Lehman, and American Express, and she became a stockbroker, and now she's a chief market strategist at ITM Trading, and this is what she has listed as her mission, and I'm just going to read it. It says, my mission is to translate financial noise into understandable language and enabled educated independent choices. All of my work is fact and evidence-based, and I share these tools openly. I believe strongly that we need to be as independent as possible, and at the same time, we need to come together in a community to survive and thrive through the hyperinflation I see in the near future. And so I'd like to welcome Lynette Zhang. Lynette, thank you for being with us. Well, thank you for having me, Rachel. Um, I really love your show. I think you do a great job. So I'm very happy to be here today. Oh, that makes me feel so good. Thank you. Now, listen, since I do have all these people contacting me, I can't, I can't get over how many people have contacted me asking me about investment advice. It's kind of blowing me away. The first thing I wanted to talk about was just what people should, not should, but in general, historically, where people would put their money when they wanted to brace themselves. Because I think the thing that people are, they're afraid right now. They're afraid when they watch the news, they see things like North Korea or they see things like the racial unrest or they see, you know, all the crazy things that they're throwing at people on the news and people are starting to say, I got to brace myself. And then they see what's going on with Bitcoin that's going through the roof. And Mm -hmm. they're like, should I be going to Bitcoin? So I thought we'd start talking about, the basics of gold, silver, move into Bitcoin. And um, I'll let you do the talking. You're the pro on this. Help people people out. Well, you know, one thing that you brought up um, in this intro, you know, you see what's happening with North Korea. You see what's happening with the racial riots. And part of what you're really talking about 
And then, and then Bitcoin and how that's moving up and people moving forward. And I think a lot of what you're really referring to to begin with is called, uh, this is the government's term, not mine, uh, and central bankers term, perception management. Mm. Because if they can manage how you perceive things, then you are more likely to move forward in a direction that supports their goals. So, what their goal is at this juncture, well, they have several, but the key goal right now and what they're preparing us for is a money standard shift. And, you know, you brought up two big examples, the war and racial tensions. And for those of us, I'm, I'm going to be 63 in October. So for those of us that were alive in 1971, when they were also in the 60s and then the 70s, preparing us for a money standard shift. Wow. Two of the things that you mentioned today also were happening then. The Vietnam War, civil rights. In addition, you had uh, 37% inflation as the shift was taking place. You had the stock market imploding about 45%. Women's lib. Um, all of the protests. My sister was Billy Clubbed at Kent State. So um, there's always in a money standard shift, there is always it's always surrounded with a lot of chaos so that you're looking over here or you're looking over there rather than what's really happening. And to bring Bitcoin into the conversation, that's actually the direction that they want us to go in is into cyberspace where nothing is tangible. Mm hmm. Because then it's mm -hmm. easier to control and manipulate. So I'm not saying that things aren't happening in those areas. I'm just saying I like to look a little below the surface. I listen to what they say. Then I watch what they do. And then that helps me know what the truth is. <laughs> and that's why we have you on this show. Excellent. Thank you, <laughs> Thank Lynette. You. Thank you. That was great. Um so where do you want to start with that then if people are scared because of this perception management stuff that's going on right now? Where would you first off, would you tell them, yeah, it's time to brace yourself or is it oh. time to just what would you tell them? I would say that it is absolutely time to brace themselves. And, and frankly, they should be scared. I mean, I'm scared and I understand this stuff. and This is where I live. And so what you need to be doing. Number one is don't hold all of your wealth inside of a system where they can push a button or, and they can, or they can make an announcement and you have no access. Look at Greece. I just did a uh, YouTube on, uh, somebody asked me to do Greece yesterday. So I did that. And of course I've been following that as that whole thing has unfolded. Look at Venezuela. So if you hold your wealth inside of the system, and they don't want you to have your wealth, then that is a button push. So what everybody needs to be doing is setting themselves up to be as independent as possible. And that means food, water, energy, security, barterability, wealth preservation, and community. Now, the barterability uh, piece you can anything that is tangible or any talent that you have is barterable. 
but so is silver. Um, like I have chickens, which means I have eggs, and eggs are certainly barterable. You know, you have toilet paper and I have eggs, I'll swap you. And as long as we both want what the other one has to offer, no problem. Um, and and I'm I'm 100% certain there will be quite a bit of that going on as we're going through this. However, silver is universal. So if I don't want your toilet paper, you know, then I'll trade my eggs for silver where I can use that anywhere. Does that make sense? Yeah. And you answered one of my questions as you were speaking. I was going to ask, do you think we're going to be at the point where we're literally bartering toilet paper and eggs? And you said, yes. absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Because during this period of time, um, historically, there are three economies that kind of happen uh, parallel to each other. And then there would be some crossover. So one, which you can clearly see if you look in, you know, pretty much anywhere, but uh, Greece or, 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 or uh, Venezuela, or actually even Argentina, mm-hmm. that uh, if you are, if everything is held inside of the system, when you have no access to that wealth, you become a hundred percent dependent on the government. And the government will go in and they'll take over essential services, typically some grocery stores and some, uh, hospitals, pharmacies. So it's food and medical care. And if you're dependent on them, you're going to starve and I'm sorry, you're going to die. Now, the other part, though, are those that have the ability to barter. So, again, anything physical, you know, I mean, I'm sitting here with a coffee mug. Well, that's barterable. It's real. And I've become an urban farmer, so I know how to lay irrigation. So if I really had to, I could go and I could trade my skill of laying irrigation which is not great, but I can get by Mm -hmm. um, with somebody that needs that for maybe some of the food they're growing in their garden or something like that. It's just that silver is an easier tool to use, but um, that would be the second one. So the second uh, kind of economy that grows up. And usually those people can do okay. They can get through it. But then you have that third group that is typically your, um, well, the goal is to be in the wealthy group, in that group, because you actually have real money. So that you can take that, those dimes, for example, pre-64 dimes are 90% silver, and you can go to the grocery store, and every grocery store has a scale. And gosh, everything is tied into a computer. So it would actually be very easy for them to put a pint of strawberries on a scale and tell you how much it is in terms of silver or or fiat money, but they're not going to want the dollars, which is fiat money. They're not going to want that at that time because it's recognized that it's losing value so quickly that the grocer cannot replace those strawberries for the amount of dollars that he will be able to charge you. But with the silver, no matter how long he has it in his pocket, he'll always be able to buy the same amount of strawberries. So, you know, typically the people in the group that have physical gold and silver in their possession 
not only do they have the easiest time sustaining their standard of living, but they actually typically have the opportunity to expand their wealth base during these periods because all of the fiat money inflation in, in relation to gold is burned out of the system. So those income producing assets, you know, like real estate, as an example, um, you can go in and the historic average, I did the study a few a number of years ago, actually, but I did a study where I looked at what happens to all asset classes during these transitions. And um, on average, 25 ounces of gold or the equivalent could buy an entire city block, buildings and all. Oh, my gosh. Right. So, you know, you just have to keep that in mind. Uh, people think we've been trained to think that dollars have value. They have no value. They're used in one place. They only have value once you convert them into something. But we've all been alive long enough to understand that the moment you get a dollar in your hand, it has more value than it will ever have because inflation erodes its purchasing power. Mm-hmm. Things cost more and more and more and more and more by design. That's absolutely by design. You can read the documents when they set this monetary, the fiat money system together, and they had two goals. Number one, for governments, inflation, which is built into the system, inflation is a way for a government to tax you without having to go through legislation. Because it really doesn't matter if it costs you more dollars or you have less dollars to spend on something. The end result is the same. But who complains about, I mean, you may complain about inflation, but you don't say, well, that's because of the money. Because you don't understand it. It's called nominal confusion. So they knew they could get away with it. Plus, let's take house appreciation as an example or stock appreciation or any appreciation in terms of fiat money. Well, if these things are going up because the value of the dollar is going down, that's what's happening, then on top of just that regular inflation tax, they get to tax you on those inflated gains. It's flipping genius, and you don't even realize it. Did, did that make sense to you? Yeah, it did. It did. It made me think, it made me think of another question that's kind of a different track, I guess, my brain jumped over. Why is the stock market going through the roof? Oh, well, the stock market, the, the real reason, the perception management reason why the yeah. stock market is going through the roof is because that's what people look at. If they open up their 401k statement and everything looks okay because the stock market is going up or they turn on the nightly lose and they say, oh, the stock market is going up, then you go, oh, okay. Everything must be okay because at one point it actually was a gauge on the health of the economy. Right. Um, but prior to 71, when a co- corporation issued stock, it was typically to expand their business. So maybe they would buy some land, maybe they would buy some equipment, maybe they would hire new people, and then they would make more money. So, um, and at at that point, workers' wages, the difference between workers' wages and owners' wages were not what they are today. They were much narrower. So a, an average worker actually got to participate if there were healthy gains. So that's what we were taught. 
that the stock market is a gauge of the economy because at one point it actually was. But today, it is not about when they issue a stock, and, and you can go into the SEC website, and if there's any stock you want to look at the IPO, just Google it. You'll go in and you'll see. And if you go in and look under use of funds, then um, now I haven't looked at every single stock, but I've looked at a lot of them. So I can tell you that I would say probably 90 8.9% of the time under use of funds, it's about having access to the markets so that they can sell stuff, easier uh, money transfer, and to pay off the early investors. And the rest of it, they're just going to sit on the cash. They don't need it because of all the venture. There's lots of reasons. So, um, Really, it's about wealth transfer and the stock market being where it is. Uh, there are several reasons. A big reason is to keep people calm because if right. the stock market's doing okay, we think everything is okay. But another big, huge reason and the one that really puts us in jeopardy is the um, derivative bets that they have created, which are just – unsubstantiated leverage bets that are based on the price action of the underlying whatever they based it on. So it could be stocks or bonds or real estate or other derivatives. And uh, because the systemically important banks on a global basis are sitting in, well, nobody really knows the value at risk. But um, I personally going into the Bank for International Settlements website and they you can look at the amount of quote unquote notional amount of derivatives that are in there. But before they changed the accounting standards, I personally counted 1.48 quadrillion in notional value of these big bets. Wow. Now, there's no way to bail that out when it explodes. When you said it, I actually got a little – like I, I took a deep breath. I couldn't believe that we're even talking about quadrillions now. I mean trillions. Yeah, right. that's, that's intense. Okay. Wow. Now – I know there's so much. I'm sorry, that, Rachel. That just, so blew, that just blew me away. Now, at the beginning of this, you started talking about people and food, and mm -hmm. I, I started thinking – and we're talking about stock market. This is not really the way I wanted this whole thing to go. But what about Amazon buying Whole Foods and then all of the food <laughs> stuff? So tell me about what you thought about that. Oh, my God. I don't know. Oh, I don't know that you really want to know what I think yeah, about I do. Amazon. Yeah, I do. That's why you have, on this, we have you on the show. Go ahead. Uh, okay. Um, what I see, and I've done webinars on that, is that we really only have the illusion of choice. But everything all around the world is really just owned by a handful of major corporations. Amazon would be one of them. Now, the thing about Amazon is that by design, and I mean when they came out with the stock and they still maintain this policy, they do not need to make money. They were designed to go into an area – undercut them 
So drive them out of business like we've seen with the bookstores, let's just say. But they've done that to a lot of small merchants as well. Um, undercut them, take over an area, and then move on. They're, they're like, a, I, I don't know what you would call it, a, a squid, an evil uh, vampire squid or something like that. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah I can um, picture it. Right, because if you're a mom and pop shop, you have to make money. You can't sit there and lose money. You go out of business. And so basically what Amazon does in industry after industry after industry is that's exactly how they operate. They'll go in and undercut. So now they're going into food and they're undercutting. And I, I personally used to like to um, buy my meat and my fish from Whole Foods because I like pastured your food. I like a high quality, clean food. And um, now I can't go there anymore. I mean, I'm, I may end up becoming, you know, a vegetarian, which wouldn't be horrible. Um, but yeah, I'm not happy to see that. I can't go in. I can't support them because they're a huge, huge monopoly. And once they have everything, then they can dictate how much they charge. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I am not a fan of Amazon at all. I can't stand them myself. That's my opinion. Well, thank you for not holding back. Thank you. Um, <laughs> now, I, other people, I've, I've got to ask you this question because somebody emailed it to me, and I was like, I don't know what to tell you. Somebody said, I want to pull all my money out, the family's money, out of the stock market and the retirement funds, and I want to pay off my house and then just start from scratch saving there. And I said, well, that's a tough one to, I, I didn't know what to tell her. I said, I'm going to ask my guest this week. <laughs> okay. Well, personally, and remember, I'm an ex-banker, I'm an ex-stockbroker, and I analyze and look at stuff all the time. I personally do not even have one penny in the stock market or the bond market. That means oh. I don't have any mutual funds, ETFs. Uh, CDs, annuities. Um, I don't have a uh, a savings account inside of the banking system. I certainly do have a retirement plan, but not inside of the system. Um, now that has certainly not not always been true, and it, I'm sure it's not always going to be true inside of the future. It's part of a strategy that I develop based upon what always happens. But any wealth that you hold in the system, even though your perception is that you own it, legally you are merely the beneficial owner. The legal registered owner is actually either Seed and Company or DTC, which owns Seed and Company. And again, you can find that on the SEC website. If you're, if you own a bond or whatever, you'll go in and you'll see that, um, they're only, they will only listen to the legal registered owner, which is Seed and Company or DTC. It's right in there. You can read it. It's just nobody ever bothers to. Wow. So, okay. Wait, that's news to me. So <laughs> say that again. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'll, I'll move back to move forward because mm. in 1971, when Nixon closed the gold window, and that's the way we always hear about it so it doesn't sound so bad, but the reality of what he did at that moment in time was that he handed full power to, of inflation over to central banks. 
and, and really took the governments out of it because from there forward, um, the ability to convert dollars into gold held the central bank's toes to the fire. So in 71, he handed everything over. And right around that same time, Seed and Company, and it's C-E-D-E is the way okay. you spell it. All right. uh, but it was created, I'm sorry, DTC, Seed and Company was created in the end of the 90s. Forgive me. It was DTC that was created to, uh, the word is, dematerialize all assets. So uh, some of your listeners might remember when there were actually what were called bearer bonds. And you held the certificate. And also prior to that, it was pretty standard for you if you owned a stock, like we were talking about, you held the certificates. But with you holding the certificates, whether it's a bond certificate or a stock certificate, um, number one, then you were the legal registered owner. So they went about um, dematerializing it and getting you to hold it inside of the system. And so if you call your broker, ask your broker, is my account held in street name? And I'll repeat that because that's important. Street name. My bet is they will say yes. And what that actually, when you open up the account, what you agree to is giving up legal title and you become a beneficial owner. And your benefit, they make it seem to you because you get this statement with your name on it and says, oh, this is what your holdings are. So your perception is that you own this account, but legally uh, you are just the beneficial owner. And Seed and Company is nice enough to pass through any dividends or uh, proxies or something like that. So it goes through all of the subsidiaries between DTC and you on the bottom. And you can see I've got a flow chart from Yale Law School that did a study on custodial ownership. Uh, so you can see it for yourself. But everybody between DTC, all of the um, subsidiaries between DTC and you are also classified as beneficial owners. Their benefit is that they get to use your equity in your account for their benefit. So they can borrow using your equity and then do whatever they want with that money. That's called hypothecation. But if they do this transaction through the city of London, which is probably where about 99% of them are done, mm -hmm. then there are no limitations as to how many times that same collateral can be used or there are no limitations on the number of entities that can use that same collateral, and that's called rehypothecation. Uh, in fact, I just did something on that, um, I think, last week. You'll have to forgive me because I do research reports every week. And so when I do one, I sort of forget exactly when I did it because I'm already on to the next one. Yeah, right, right. And there's no, only I, so much I can hold in this group. <laughs> You're doing great. You're doing great. Now, I, this what you just said reminds me the whole thing with the mortgages. Mm -hmm. the you know, you, people have the title to their house. No, they don't. This, 15 other banks have the titles to your, to your house. You're like, wait a second, who owns your house? And that whole thing with uh, Countrywide, oh, God. Mm -hmm. But also property taxes. Good, yes. So, so back let us not forget that because during hyperinflation, you have to keep in mind how governments generate 
income. And that's through taxation mostly and fees and fines and things like that. So um, you going back to her question about the mortgage, well, you know, for one thing, I don't ever think it's a bad idea to have a mortgage paid off. Um, however, part of my strategy and you and everybody always has to do what they're comfortable, regardless of what anybody else says. I mean, really, because you're the one that's going to uh, suffer the consequences or enjoy the rewards of your choices. So that's why for for me and for us here at ITM Trading, it really is all about educated choices. Um, for me personally, I, I'm planning, okay, this is what happens, okay? When they do a planned reset, they revalue the fiat money. So in this country, the dollars against good money, and that's physical monetary gold. And then that is how the dollar loses the rest of the value and the confidence. That's the hyperinflationary piece. But that's also when gold goes to its true fundamental value. Now, the fundamental value of any asset, and I think everybody needs to know how to do this. It's a little nuanced, but I have webinars on it, and I give you formulas and everything, so you can do this with everything. But I can't give you a lot of guarantees, but here's one I can give you. At some point, every single asset and instrument ends up at its fundamental value. And that's its true value based upon the single most important function that that asset or instrument performs for those that created it. Not what you want it to do. Sorry, but that's not really relevant. But what do they want it to do? So with dollars as example, the by design, and you can see this just by if you if any of your listeners Google uh, Federal Reserve Fred, that's my personal favorite website because they have uh, tons of charts and graphs in there, which I love because I think a chart will tell you know a, a much faster story than I can even do verbally, and I usually like to mix the two because then it makes more sense. But if you get to FRED, Federal Reserve FRED, Google it, it's easy to find. And in the search bar, you put purchasing power of the consumer dollar. Purchasing power of the consumer dollar. What you're going to see, according to the Federal Reserve, is the value of the dollar. And out of the original $1, officially, there is $0.04 left. That's it. $0.04. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, part of what we're looking at when you're when you're seeing that the fundamental value of a hundred percent of every fiat money, and I need to back up here because I didn't define fiat, but the literal translation of fiat is by decrease. So that's just legalized government money. And a hundred percent of the time, and there are more than forty eight hundred examples of this. Um, by design, it goes to zero, and we're at four cents. We're getting close. Exactly. So the and the only reason why we're not at zero yet is because everybody in the world is agreeing to the lie, and the public doesn't understand this yet, but they will. Unfortunately, it, when they do, it'll be painful. Pardon. Is is that why we keep going to war? 
That is definitely a big, huge reason why we keep going to war. So hold that for just a second, and mm-hmm. let's come back to that for sure. But um, so the fundamental value of a dollar is zero. That's its true value based upon, I mean, that's what it was created to do, inflate your wealth away. Now, the flip side of that is good money gold. The reason why gold is the primary currency metal is because years ago, way long time ago, they tried lots and lots of things um, as good money, but only gold met the requirement uh, of to be good money, and there are lots of reasons. But the single what they were trying to accomplish when they created money was a tool to value labor. But then any excess labor that you didn't need to use, you could hold in a form that down the road when you needed it, it had the same level of purchasing power. So the same amount of money bought the same amount of goods and services. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. Okay. Well, gold, it takes labor and effort to pull it out of the ground. It is a labor savings-based money Plus, it is used across the entire swatch of the global economic system. So nobody has to declare it as value. It has all intrinsic value because of its many, many uses. Okay? Mm-hmm. So, so the way that you get to the fundamental value of gold, though remember, you can do this for 100% of everything, and you should, is you take in the current fiat system, money's created from debt. So you take all the debt that they've grown and you divide it by every ounce of gold that exists because gold is indestructible. I even like to use gold that is yet in the ground. So you divide all the debt by all the gold and that's going to get you somewhere near its true value if they did the reset today. The more debt they grow, the higher that number goes. So somewhere, if they did the reset today, you would see gold go somewhere around 9300 bucks. You would see silver go somewhere around 650 bucks, 625 something like that. And that's just based upon um, the economist online has a global debt clock. I don't know if you've seen it or not, but that would definitely be something to Google and, and, and uh, take a look at. So they only base that on public debt. According to the International Monetary Fund, there's actually about three times as much debt as what they show on that clock. And we haven't even put the derivatives in that (laughs) equation anywhere. So, yeah, I think 9,300 bucks on an ounce of gold is extraordinarily conservative. Yeah. The usdebtclock.org, I just checked before we went online, they have $1.00. Is in the ratio to gold to dollar, one dollar to six would be six thousand four hundred fifty-five dollars on usdebtclock.org. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't really know quite how they come, how they do uh, their calculations, but even so, yeah. you've got spot at what thirteen hundred, yeah, thirteen hundred and ten bucks. Yeah, thirteen ten. It's a freaking bargain. Yeah, yeah. 
you see how is you see how and you can do that for everything you know go we have the archives it's free you can go in there you can pull it up um just look at the opportunities that present during hyperinflation and i have formulas for stocks and real estate and everything in there okay so the stock market's still gonna be there so when they say the 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 reset the money reset's gonna come the stock market's still gonna be there chugging along doing what it's doing but well, it's still going to be there. Yeah. Um, I don't know that it's going to be chugging along and doing what it's doing because what history tells us and actually what the Treasury started telling us in 2013 yeah. is that there are no buyers on the other side of this market. So the markets are actually illiquid, which is another reason why they have to keep you know, pushing them. There are many reasons why they have to keep pushing it up. But mm-hmm. in 2008, uh, people don't realize this um, primarily because they don't want you to know. It's part of the perception management. But the system actually um, died in 2008 and was put on life support with all the money printing and the massive amount of debt growth and all of that kind of thing. And uh, at that time, to- prior up until that point. Uh, banks trusted each other and there was lots of, it's called interbank lending. Well, mm-hmm. banks don't trust each other anymore. They're not lending to each other. Inter, inter, that's a good chart for you to look up in that Fed, uh, website. Mm-hmm. So central banks don't trust each other anymore as witnessed by, you know, 2015. I mean, there are so many pieces and parts to this. But, you know, the bottom line is, is we are headed for a reset because the system that's based upon never ending compounding debt, when the debt levels reach a place, which we have, when the debt levels reach a place where your income is just going to service the current debt that you have, how can you stimulate an economy? Look at Greece. 95.4% of the bailout money that Greece has gotten so far has gone to pay the banks back. It's gone right back to the banks. So how in the world can you stimulate an economy when wages are cut, when costs explode? People don't have money. They can't start businesses. I mean, you know, so the system has to reset. It doesn't function anymore. And they've used these last, you know, nine, ten, eight, nine years to shift the risk from the few, so from the banks, from the corporations, to the many, to the taxpayers, to those innocents that are sitting in those 401ks and those pension plans that are about to have their heads handed to them. I know. As you were talking, I was actually getting sick to my stomach thinking about people like, you know, older people that are getting ready to retire and they're like just hinging on, you know, oh, my financial planner tells me to do this and this and I've got to, I was like, oh my God, I, I, I feel bad sharing this interview with them. All right. Well, what do we, how, how do we, how do we brace this? Yeah. Brace ourselves for this. Rachel, you know, ignorance just doesn't leave you immune. It just leaves you vulnerable. Right. So whatever wealth you're going to choose to leave in the system, protect it with gold. That's the wealth preservation part of it. Food, water, energy, security, barterability, which you can do with silver and barterable gold, but wealth preservation, which you can do with gold because that's how the reset's done. 
doesn't happen because I say so. Who am I? I have no control over that. But that's simply how it's accomplished. Okay. So that's how we do it. All right. So if people go and they say, oh, but I can't afford gold, even though you say it's a bargain. But like you said, a lot of people are just their income is going off to service debt, such as their mortgages, their car payments, kids' school, if they put them in private school because the public school stinks kind of thing. Um, How do we get our heads around, like, uh, maybe I should put $50 a week or $25 a week that I would spend on coffee or something and maybe maybe start doing it like that? You can do it. There's always a way to do it, and I'll give you several of them. Because what I would like your listeners to be clear on is that gold and silver in any form is monetary at its base. So if you have Aunt Bessie's sterling silver um, salt and pepper shakers or flatware or jewelry, well, anything that is marked sterling or 925, which is Mexican silver, is 92.5% pure. And it does not matter what the condition is. It can be bent and broken and tarnished. It doesn't matter. And the same thing is true for gold. Most gold in this country is 14 carat. Well, guess what? That's 58% pure gold. 18 carat is 75%. 10 per, you know, 10K. If it says a number and K after it, there's gold content in there and they can separate out the gold. So there are a lot of different ways that you can accumulate that does not take a whole lot of money. Now, now obviously, I mean, our minimum here, because we are so committed to everybody, you know, being able to protect themselves, our minimum here is 500 bucks. And you can go in right now and you can buy, say, some junk silver. And I'm, I'm not looking at it, so I could be off a little bit. But uh, keep in mind, pre-64 is 90% silver. And it's sold by face. So a dollar's worth of dimes, 10 dimes. Now, they take into account the wear and everything on it. So basically, $1 would have uh, three quarters of an ounce of silver in it approximately. Well, I think you can pick up a, a face for something like maybe 12 or 13 bucks delivered. Okay. So if you've now our minimum is 500, but keep in mind, you can go to um, maybe your local shop if, if you've got 25 bucks or guess what? If there's an antique mall in your neighborhood, chances are pretty good that those dealers have what they would think of as scrap silver, broken, tarnished, whatever. They don't want to throw it out because it's sterling silver or 925 silver. But if they sell it for melt, if they send it to a smelter, they're going to get something below spot for it. So if you walked in there and you said, hey, is there a dealer around? I want to buy some some scrap um, silver. And you offered them to buy it by weight at spot. You know, they're going to have a little test kit. They're going to have a little scale. And if you have 25 bucks, you can go in and buy 25 bucks worth of silver. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. You can mm-hmm. go to yard sales. It's not so easy anymore. But, oh, man, I used to go to yard sales all the time. And I was like, oh, I don't want to polish this. I'll take it for a buck. I mean, yeah. I can't tell you how much of that stuff I've been fortunate enough to accumulate for. They gave it to me pretty much. Yeah. So, you know, if you come in with 500 bucks, you can do like uh, fractional pieces are less than an ounce. So you can do, you know, like. I'm not real keen on, on bullion myself, but, you know, you maybe could do like a tenth ouncer, uh, American Eagle, which probably right now would be somewhere around 130 bucks. Or, or, you know, my personal preference, I like the old stuff because of eminent domain laws. So um, that's where I'm more comfortable. But, you know, for 500 bucks, you could pick up maybe say a gold Swiss franc for, you know, about 300 bucks ish and then a bunch of silver. So there are ways to accumulate that you don't have to have a lot of money. You just have to be willing to take the time and go, you know, find it. And, and just keep in mind at its base, any gold and silver is monetary in any form. Right now. All right. So I think one of the big deals is, is that, I know, I know I had to make this leap myself and it is tough when you have to say, oh, I had all this money in my retirement account, but now I'm looking at a different type of value. Mm-hmm. Like, if you get rid of that, now you've got to like make the shift that you're not poor. You've got mm-hmm. silver, you've got gold sitting there. You're not poor. Although right. on you the, have I, real money. You, yeah. But if you go to like say buy something where you do have to interface with that system you just talked about, they're gonna say, Whoa, you've got nothing. And well, it's just it's just the weird the weird feeling of like where where am I? How do I fit into the world that I'm walking around in right now? Because it we haven't totally collapsed here in the United States yet. So no, that's haven't. That's why people are like, Well, you're crazy, you know, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. And then the other people are like, Yeah, just buy some Bitcoin or buy these stocks that all they're doing, they're going up and up and up. So yeah. How do you deal with that? That <laughs> mental leap, the mental leap. You know, I'll tell you, I really understand that because it's a paradigm shift. Yeah. And as soon as you accept this new paradigm, um, I mean, really in order to accept this new paradigm, you have to admit that what you believe to be true your entire life was a lie. And that's really challenging for most people um, because this is not something that's taught. They don't want us to understand it, so it's not taught, period. Uh, however, you know, and even going to Bitcoin, um, you know, it benefits them. Perception management, it makes it makes, makes cyber uh, cryptocurrencies more noticeable. And so... They, that's where they want us. They want everything dematerialized because then they have full control over it. So they'll let you get some gains to begin with, and they always do this in the money standard shift. They let you have some gains who think this is a great thing, and it encourages great, greater participation until they get to a certain um, critical level, and then they cut you off. But as far as that paradigm shift is concerned, and especially inside of things like retirement plans or annuities, things that have rather um, appearing large fees to get out of, 
you know, you, you, I think that everybody needs to start reading um, how they set these things up because they actually say a few very interesting things. Number one, they say that the fees must be large enough so that you make the choice not to liquidate. So let's just take an IRA, for example, and let's just say to make my life easy that you have $100,000 in your IRA. So you're looking at your statement and go, I got $100,000 in my IRA. Well, in reality, no, you don't. Because number one, you are always going to have to pay taxes on it. So maybe what you really have is $50,000 in an IRA that just looks like you have 100000 does that make sense to you so far? Yes. Yep. Okay. Now, the, you know, look at it. This is happening in different parts of the world where strapped governments go in and confiscate. They may not actually call it confiscation. <laughs> they could call it nationalization. There are lots of names for uh, confiscation. But they've gone in and they've taken, say, 50% of private retirement plans, um, 100% and they nationalize it. Look at Greece. They forced everybody, 70 by law, 77% of the money in the pension plans must be invested in Greek government bonds. So, and then we saw what happened with that in in uh, 2012 by the end of that year um you really had about 34 cents out of the original um well 340 dollars out of the original thousand face so if they are to nationalize though and in this country what they what i've heard them talk about so far because you know there's what 10, 15 trillion in private retirement plans and the pension plans are severely underfunded, whether they're yeah. public or private, right? Yeah. They're looking at them and they yeah. say, it's not fair for you to have that and these other people not to have it. So it's coming. Uh, what I've heard them talk about, um, at least so far, is an 11.6% and they call it a one-off fee. And the reason why they say that is because if they go in and just take 11.6% out and if they can convince everybody that they're only going to do it one time, then nobody changes um, how they do things. So you'll continue to contribute and, and all of this kind of stuff. But if they do a full nationalization, that's uh, aside from many other things, that's 100%. Now, if you take into consideration that at the moment you're buying gold somewhere around 1300 bucks, and let's say they stop growing debt and let's just make life easy again and say, okay, the fundamental value is 9000 bucks. Well, the difference between that 1300 and that 9000 is how you recoup those taxes. And that's also how you protect anything that you left in the system. Did, did that make sense to you? Yeah, in a way. <laughs> in a way. It's called but, buying low and selling, and selling high. high. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's what it's called. Okay? So if you leave it in the system and it all goes to zero, whether they nationalize it or whether or when the reset happens or for, you know, a bunch of other reasons, um, then you have nothing. Right. Now – but. The gold and the silver out of the system in your possession will go to its fundamental value. So you will actually have the ability to function and recoup those losses. 
Now, what what time is it now? We've got like a few minutes till we go to the break, right? So when we get back, we're going to go to that break in a little bit, in a few minutes. When we get back after the break, I want to talk about this retirement plan outside of the system that you mentioned. Okay. But, well, you just brought that. We'll do that out. And we're also going to talk to um, this whole thing, what's going on with the IMF and with cryptocurrencies oh. mm-hmm. after the break. But as we're working up to the break, let's talk back about um, – this perception management stuff and the pension funds. Now I have a list. Uh, I got it from Catherine Austin Fitz, who you must know. I love her. I I love her too. I have such a. Uh, I I disagree with her in in some areas because she always kind of goes back to the stock market, Mm -hmm. which I don't. I've made the full paradigm shift. I I don't Mm -hmm. think she quite has yet, but she's a brilliant woman. So I don't really want to say anything bad about her. No, she's she's. We all love her. She's awesome. Right. Um, She's awesome. she gave me um, a list of all the different states in the United States, their unfunded pension costs, their unfunded retiree health costs, and their debt. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, Alaska is off the charts with all of those things. Hawaii is right underneath it. But the best state to, if you have to retire or go somewhere when the, you know, when the wheels fall off this whole thing, when we have a crash, looks like South Dakota. Mm-hmm. South Dakota would be the best one because they've got like almost the only thing they've got is debt and it's very small, very mm-hmm. small. Yes. Um, and so there's uh, she's got a whole list of these things. And in your opinion, when and if the wheels do fall off the cart here in America, what would you be looking at where you're living? Because you brought up taxes if you bought your house out, like you took all your money out of the stock market and mm-hmm. bought your house flat out. Would you be looking at the unfunded pension costs? Would be looking at unfunded retiree health care costs or the debt of a state? Well, you know, really you want to look at, at all three of them. And if somebody wants to call in, I have links to a fabulous site. You can check out all of that stuff for your state if you want. Just give us a call and we'll get that link out oh, to you. Give the number. Give the number for people. Oh, Go it's 888 696 Four six five three, and I I recently did a whole webinar on that. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'm really familiar with it. If you have the flexibility, like frankly, I don't really have that flexibility because my daughters are married to Arizona, and I'm married to my to my daughters and my grandchildren. Mm-hmm. So uh, my personal. Um, choice has been to make my stand here. Uh, but if I had the flexibility, then yeah, South Dakota would be a good place to go for those very reasons that you talked about. Yeah. Um, but I want you to keep in mind like a great example of this. And if, if anybody goes and watches that webinar, they'll see it because I put it in there. What uh, the barterable gold will do, like the uh, gold Swiss franc that I mentioned, it absolutely keeps pace with that. So it'll enable you to always pay your property taxes no matter what happens. So that's part of the strategy, you know, that that we talk about is to cover all of those things that typically happen. Right on. Okay, we're going to go to break. We're talking to Lynette Zhang of ITM Trading, and we'll be right back after this break. Okay, here we are at the second hour of Shadow Citizen. I'm Rachel L. McIntosh, and I'm here with Lynette Zhang. She's the Chief Market Strategist at ITM Trading. And we talked last hour about 
Oh, gosh, we kind of went all over the place. We talked about Amazon. We talked about stock market. We talked about gold. We talked about silver. We talked about a little bit about Bitcoin. And she told us about Seed and Company, C-E-D-E and D-T-C, which you could go look online if you're interested in that because it's they hold basically all of the assets on your bonds and stuff. And the fiat money assets, right. Thank you. And then um, we we just had a great conversation the first hour. So if you missed the first hour, this whole conversation, this two-hour show is going to be archived at American Freedom Radio, also at shadowcitizen.online. And it'll be on YouTube. It will be on, gosh, VMO, uh, BitChute, uh, iTunes. Gosh, we're on all different things. So you'll find us all over the place. And if you hear this... Share it with a friend because this is important information. Okay, so Lynette, thank you so much for being here for the second hour. And let's pick up where we left off. We were starting to talk about, well, where do you want to pick up where you just left off from? <laughs> I can go wherever you need me yeah, to go. All right. So, and you know your listeners. All right. Well, let's let's bring it back down to the basics of where we started with the gold and the silver. We know that yes. gold and silver, we we need them, and we. We need to probably start putting aside a little bit of money each week that we'd normally spend on coffee or put on on our lunches Mm -hmm. or something. And at the end of the week, we've got a bunch of money and we could go to the coin shop or would we could you go online? Or obviously, you well, have a, if you have a place that you sell these things at, people could go to your place. Um, right, itmtrading.com. Right. Um, and it, it's a little, you know, there are okay places online and there are not okay places online. Yeah, tell so, us about you know, that. Well, you know, this is not a regulated industry. I mean, yes, we have to comply with money laundering and all of this. But uh, generally speaking, you could be talking to somebody that was selling shoes last week and they don't really understand what's going on. So, um, you know, my personal feeling is like ITM trading, we've been in business since 95. And we have an absolute AAA rating with the Better Business Bureau. But more than that is we have zero complaints. So... You have to be careful of who you buy it from, and I think that part of that, it should be based upon what you need. Uh, and what I mean by that is, you know, if you go to a local shop, which there's nothing wrong with going to a local shop, uh, but you're not going to get market guidance as you move through this. Um, and actually, if you go online, I now I'm not saying that there are no other companies that have a strategy, but there's no other companies that have me, and the strategy that we utilize is based – I've been studying currency since 1987, and um, at that point, you know, you look at currency after currency after currency, you start to see patterns. So the strategy that I developed is based upon those repeatable patterns and repeatable valuations. So even though I can't give you guarantees – you know, my feeling is, is that something's happened 100% of the time previously and we're doing the same thing. I don't know. I think our best shot is we're going to get the same results. So part of the strategy that we utilize here is about being into position to weather the storm and then take advantage of it. So ask questions. 
You know, I mean, ask good questions. That's a lot of my education pieces are about giving you the tools so that if you're talking to somebody that's making a recommendation about something, don't take their word for it. Don't take my word for it. I'll give you all the proof. You can make your own decision. But, you know, I went to Shearson because at the time, and this was 86, they had the best training program on the street. Did they teach me how to read the technical language of the markets or really what money was and all that stuff? Oh, heck no. Not in all my gazillions of economics classes in college did they teach me about those things either because they don't want us to understand it. So if you're working with somebody with your wealth, my personal feeling is you want to work with somebody that understands what's going on. Otherwise, what? It's the blind leading the blind. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, here's another question somebody typed in on mm-hmm. the, over to me. They said, aren't precious metals, aren't, there, aren't the prices manipulated? Mm-hmm. Because you hear that all the time. Like, for instance, you go to Zero Hedge or something, people are like, oh, they're smashing it down again. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're manipulating it. Mm-hmm. Is it manipulated? A hundred percent. And they even admit it. And you can see it. I do lots of webinars on that. Um, but yes, because gold is money. And a rising gold price is an indication of a failing currency. Right. So they've actually been manipulating it since 1913. But in the 70s, they knew once they took us off the gold standard that there was going to be a flood toward gold. So that's when they created the spot gold market. And they actually say in the documentation that they created it so that after this initial rush, then they could create volatility in there and therefore uh, discourage people for for participating in that market. And even Sir Alan Greenspan, and my mom always used to ask me, oh, don't you think he's smarter than you, Lynn? Don't you think he's smarter? And I'd say to her, Mom, I sure hope he is smarter because he has a whole lot more control over things than I do. But if he actually believes the garbage coming out of his mouth, then no, I don't think he's smarter (laughs) than I am. Good response to Mom. Good. Absolutely. But I even have quotes from the FOMC meeting minutes where he talks about manipulating the price of gold to uh, manipulate perception. So, yes. The answer is, in one word, 100% they manipulate gold to discourage you from participating while they load up like crazy. So if they, well, here's back to that thing, though, about Bitcoin and everything else. If they are manipulating the price to make people perceive something, why why invest in it? If you can't have any control or, or if it's not doing what it freely wants to do, why invest in that? Awesome question. Well, the reason is, is because that's how the reset is done. And because that's how the reset is done, where they revalue it to its true value, while they are manipulating these prices lower, go in and look. Year over year, China bought 30% more gold quarter to quarter, these are the most current data, but you'll see central bankers buying uh, monetary gold like crazy, and you can see in in ultra-rare, I always like to look at what the smartest guys in the room are doing for themselves, and then Mm -hmm. if there's some way that I can emulate that, I'm doing it. 
So um, you can go into uh, PCGS.com or just Google Ultra Rarities uh, PCGS, and you'll see what the very wealthy, the one percenters, are doing for themselves because they'll buy uh, collectible numismatic coins. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so yeah. what's the difference between collectible or you just said numis, numismatic? numismatic. Mm-hmm. What's the difference between that regular just gold that you could buy like a little coin or a round, a gold round, or what they call paper gold? Like Wall Street has this other thing like paper gold that seems to like drive the price up or down too. Oh, oh, absolutely it does because you can really leverage what you're doing uh, without ever taking uh, position of the gold. So let's go one at a time. And yeah. first let's talk about the futures market because that's a big one and they use that for the smashing. And where you can see this is at the CME group where it costs, and I'm not exaggerating, and you can see it, just Google CME Central Bank uh, Program. Um, it costs them $1.10 to control a hundred ounces of physical gold. So that's the paper gold. One dollar and ten cents controls, well, a hundred ounces. So at thirteen hundred bucks an ounce, you can see the math, right? So it doesn't cost very much to manipulate the prices. Wait, how is uh, that even legal? How is that legal? <laughs> well, if you get to write the laws and you write the contracts, all this stuff is contract based. Uh, then I guess you can do anything you want, can't you? Well, isn't Ethereum based on contracts? Uh-huh. It's all based on contracts. Uh-huh. The whole system is based on contracts. And any contract is only as good as the counterparty to that contract. And when you think you have a quote-unquote guarantee... Read the print. Read the prospectus. People never read what they're signing and what they're agreeing to. And it says very clearly that it's based upon the claims paying ability. If it's an annuity or an insurance contract, it's based upon the claims paying ability of that insurer. So, and if you're looking at GLD, which is a real popular one that Wall Street likes to use, paper gold, you think you're buying gold because by design, it is um, designed to flow with the spot price. So the spot price is not real. That's just all manipulated. And GLD, it's a share in a trust. You can never convert into the underlying gold. And in fact, what you actually have, and I've, I've got tons of relative performance charts on this, and I've read the prospectus on this stuff, so I know what they're saying, but they sell off part of their gold holdings to pay their ongoing fees daily. <laughs> and so if you go into stockcharts.com free and you put uh, the spot gold in, so that's a dollar sign G-O-L-D, and then a comma, and you put GLD in there, and you go out as far as they will, you'll see where they've been selling it. It's it's obvious in the net asset value of it. So it's not real, and it's a diminishing asset because the fees are eating it up. 
and you can see that. I mean, it's not me saying it. You want proof, give us a call. I'm happy to send it out to you, you know, and I'll give you the links. Don't take my word for it. You know, check it out yourself. So paper gold is really, it is, if you're about a trade, well, then that's a cheaper way to approach the market. Uh, but if you're about owning gold, that is, you're not owning gold. So it doesn't work. Okay? okay. doesn't work. Now, the kind of gold that central banks use and the kind of gold that they typically, well, not typically, they always uh, reset the money, the fiat money against mm-hmm. is bullion or monetary gold. And so that's the kind of gold that central banks buy. Uh, because that's what they're about. And this, the the function of monetary gold is for pure asset protection. In other words, just to protect your purchasing power. Okay? Or maybe even just to protect if you've got stocks that you want to keep just in case those go to go away, you know, this recoups it. So that's asset protection. But then you've got those um, one percenters or or people that write the laws like Ron Paul is a great example of this. Mm-hmm. And again, I have links in audio. So if I make a statement, you want me to prove it. I'm not insulted. I'm happy. I'm happy to send you the proof. Um, you know, he, like me, only buys those numismatic coins. Now, in the ultra rarities, those coins will start in the millions of dollars for one ounce of gold. And I guarantee you I'm not spending millions of dollars for one ounce of gold. Uh, but the, but what I want is I want to be in that category. And um, the reason why I want to be in that category, the reason why the 1% buy those is um, because you can hold a lot of wealth in a small, and here's a big key, movable package right why they've instituted um, new laws on transferring uh, monetary gold bullion 10,000 and even Bitcoin that you brought up so they're changing the laws moving from uh, place to place and putting in new barriers Um, they don't ever seem to do that for the kind of gold that they hold for themselves right okay so when you say numismatics that's the coins that have like pictures of pandas or pagodas or, or beautiful. Yeah. What what are the ones on humans? Actually, no. They're old. They're uh, super old. They're like from the 1800s to 1900s. How old? 1200s? Right. Pre-1933. And okay. so, yes, you can go back even earlier than that, but just to make like and, – and then you're going to pay big money, and it's a different kind of function. You know, for me, when I'm putting together a portfolio, and it doesn't matter what it is, and it doesn't matter – you know, at what period of time I'm doing it, but I'm establishing goals. What am I trying to accomplish? And then what's the right tool for the job? I, I can tell you if I'm hanging a picture, I have absolutely used the back of my shoe or anything else that happened to be handy at the moment. <laughs> right. But personally, I've found that it works much better if I have a hammer. Um, so it's the right tool for the job. And, um, Anything that was uh, officially, according to the IRS, anything that was minted after 1933 is actually, or the Treasury Department classified this rather, 
anything that's minted after 93 is classified as monetary gold. Now, in the early 60s, Kennedy actually did uh, come out and uh, gave the, the old foreign gold coins a similar kind of private status. Okay, so that's with the French franc and stuff like that. Although you have to be um, careful because there are restrikes in those, and you want the old ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a good way to know what the what the difference is is if you go to the IRS website and you see what you can hold inside of an IRA. That's monetary. If you can't hold it inside of an IRA, that's collectible or numismatic or semi numismatic. Okay, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so just for the general normal person out there, you know, that's how you're going to know the difference between the two. And then there are all sorts of levels. So, again, I go back to it depends on what you're trying to accomplish to determine, you know, what level and, and how you do that piece. Okay. You know, what kind of, what kind right. of gold. So if I want to just protect my purchasing power, make sure that I can make my property taxes, then I'm going to go with my barterable gold, which, you know, you hold it in your hand. There's really nothing special about it, but the IRS classifies it as a collectible. That's what I want for my property taxes. But um, what also happens in these transitions is that all that fiat money inflation is burned out of solid income producing assets like the real estate like we were talking about Mm -hmm. and so the gold goes up to its fundamental value all that fiat money inflation is burned out of the other so that drops all the way down in in japan which is what i think it's going to look like commercial real estate dropped 95 percent in the early 90s so now you take your collectible, your numismatic gold, and you convert it into the income-producing assets when they're cheap. So, again, buy low, sell high. That's okay. how you do it. Okay. And, all right. So can normal people just buy bullion, like the normal person who isn't – well, you gotta, like, I guess you're telling me we got to put together a strategy – Right. You you know, that's what we do here. And that's what all of my team members. I mean, I'll tell you what, I we have a very smart crew here and I'm really proud of them. And most everybody has been here for a really long time and we really do work together. So if you give us a call, you're going to be talking to somebody and you can ask them anything, but they're going to ask you a bunch of questions to determine what you need. So we don't just, it's not a one size fits all, even though we're all executing the same strategy. Mm-hmm. My circumstance is going to be a little different than your circumstance is going to be a little different than somebody else's. So the strategies are really customized uh, to each individual and we work with you, you know, through the entire trend cycle. We don't just slap you in something and say, have a nice life. Um, and, and just going back to the collectibles, you know, I'm not talking about spending a million dollars. I'm not talking about spending above fundamental value for any given coin. I mean, unless you're coming in with a huge amount and part of your goal is uh, to leave a legacy. But um, for most of the average people, you know, I mean, you can you can get these coins for, you know, somewhere around 
two grand or, you know, and it, again, it, it, it depends, but you know, you can come into that arena for a couple thousand bucks, not million bucks, but you're in the same category. Right. Now and that's what I want. Right. Okay. Now what do you say to somebody who says, okay, but what if I just go buy a Bitcoin for $4,587 and, you know, you got John McCarthy out there saying it's going to go over 5000 or he'll, Probably you know, will. or he'll eat his manhood on TV. So, uh, <laughs> so I don't want to see that. Yeah. Oh, they could they could make it I a pay per They could make it a pay per view. I'm sure. Um, I'm sure. <laughs> so, so what about people that say, you know what, Rachel? What if I just take the money I have, buy Bitcoin, and I won't have to deal with it? I'll just watch it go up, and then I'll sell right at the right minute. <laughs> well, first of all. Good luck with that, uh, because even as technical as I am, and I live inside of these markets, I got to tell you, I, I knew in July, it was July 9th of 2007 when I got a technical indicator, and what I was saying at that time is something nasty this way comes, and it took more than a year for everybody else to see that. But when, but you you really need to understand that um, cash poses a problem for central banks because since they've used up all of the purchasing power, remember there's only four cents left. Now what they need to do is attack your principal and they do that with negative rates. But a dollar bill, which if you pull it out, you'll look, it's a federal reserve note. Well, a note is a debt instrument. So those dollar bills are, and I'm talking about the physical bills now, they're actually a debt instrument that has a zero interest rate. It doesn't pay you interest, and at this point, they don't charge you interest. So if, the, if at the bank they started charging you to hold your money there, the most likely outcome would be for you to go and pull it out and try and preserve your principal. Well, this is a big problem for the central banks. And they did, um, well, they've done lots of studies over the years, but one of my favorites, and I've done lots of work on this one, is called Breaking Below the Lower Zero Bound. So you need to understand that central banks global, and they've been testing that negative rate in Europe and Japan, uh, et cetera. There's like over nine or $10 trillion in negative rate debt, which means that you're paying somebody to loan them money. Okay, which is insanity. Never before in history have we had this. But you need to understand that they are quite clear that they need us to go into digital currency. Now, look, central banks have been controlling the money system for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. They will not give up their money monopoly easily. But again, in that perception management you know, um, I, I'm not actually, I wouldn't swear that uh, that an individual created Bitcoin. It is actually more likely, and I have a white paper from 96 on how to create this cryptocurrencies. And there's lots of things that are happening with this right now. But central banks want you in digital currencies because it is so much easier, they say, they say. If we get rid of cash and we're in digital currencies, there are no limits 
to how low they can push interest rates. So if they want you to spend that money, all they have to do, like they do with the IRAs and everything else, is make it noticeable how much they're taking away from you. Okay, so it benefits them the higher that Bitcoin goes or all of these ICOs, all of these other cryptocurrencies, the more visible they are, the more curious people become, the more people that start to participate. And especially when it nominally looks like they're making money on it, woohoo, 4,000, whatever, 5,000, 20,000, whatever. Understand that every single time there is a money standard shift. So back in um, the Roaring Twenties, have you heard of the Roaring Twenties? That was about a money standard shift and all that extra money that they were enticing you to stay in the system and not look at what they were doing. The 1980s, with all of its ostentatiousness and, you know, dynasty and opulence, that was this iteration's Roaring Twenties. So Bitcoin and all the other ICOs going up, and, and you take a look at it, they have the governments and the central bankers and corporations have been putting billions and trillions of dollars into this technology. It is yeah. not out of the system. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I have lots of proof that it is not out of the system. Right. And I think this is really interesting because I was involved with the Ron Paul, both the campaigns. Um, and I know, I know, and I noticed a lot of the people that were really ardent Ron Paul people have become Bitcoin people. I'm like, how is, that, how did that happen? They want to just be so away from, you know, the, and the Fed and the Fed. And they, they kind of went for this Bitcoin thing. But I'm like, yeah, I feel very, I'm, I'm skeptical of Bitcoin. Oh, I, but yeah. Gosh, it was about, it was October, actually, last October, when um, enough of my viewers said, boy, I'd really like your opinion on this. So I'd been watching Bitcoin since its inception in 2009, but I never really jumped deeply into that rabbit hole. But when somebody asks me to jump into a rabbit hole, you know, if I if I think it relates to what we need to understand, I jump in. And so I've been jumping in that rabbit hole for for. A lot. But the reason why you see a lot of people that would typically be buying physical gold and silver and the Ron Paul supporters is because the way that it was sold is that it's outside of the system and that it's decentralized. And um, I know you were having that conversation with uh, Patrick Wood on yeah. decentralization. And so that's why, because they think it's outside of the system. That's that's the perception. That's the way it's being sold. But frankly, all of the data shows, and not so. And I think China's it, I, government is decentralized, and we yeah. see how much control that that public has. So yeah, no, it's garbage. Yeah. No, I, I think it was created by the spooks for the spooks. And I think the only, and this is just me talking, I think the only reason why it's been allowed to like go free range is because the dollar is devaluing. And I think that we have Bitcoin to look at. It was kind of like a pressure valve in my mind that they let this pressure valve be so that it wouldn't be so, so obvious what was going on with the money, with the U.S. dollar. Um, well, I, I don't know that because people don't understand 
that's that nominal confusion piece, but they want you in digital currencies because right now, if the central bank makes a policy decision, oh, they want to create inflation, for example, which is always their goal, um, then they'll, they'll do something and there is a 17 to 18 month lag time before they know whether or not it had the intended impact. Mm-hmm. When you are in cyberspace, and there are lots of other reasons, so we need to talk about that, but this is just one. When, um, when, if the money system is all crypto, that's one button push. And they can immediately attack your principal and get you to spend and generate. Well, they'll say there's no inflation, but target pricing. Okay. So it it is because they want you in that space. They want you to be comfortable in that space. It's nothing to do with the pressure valve. It's shifting you to the new money standard that they want. Mm -hmm. Because what, look at Greece. Right. If your money was in the banks, if your money is all if your wealth is all in the system, the system is shut down. They've had capital controls on everything since June 28th of 2015. And they anticipate that the soonest that they'll lift capital controls will be the end of 2018. And of course, we're not there yet. So we don't know if they're really going to do that. But because most of that wealth is now held in the system or was held in the system, the population's flipping starving. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they're allowing all of these eyes, and you look at the timing of it too. I mean, they made a choice to back off from regulations, to back off from this, but it's about perception management to get you in there. Because once you're in there, they push a button. They say, I mean, what do you do when the computer doesn't want to work? Yeah, exactly. And remember, this is supposed to be a trustless, decentralized system, which means who do you complain to? Yeah, exactly. Try calling Amazon and complaining. Thank you. <laughs> exactly my point. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I, I'm 100% certain that what we're actually witnessing and living, I mean, there's no doubt in my mind. I've studied this forever, and I see the telltale signs. I mean, you brought up war. You know, that is a telltale. There are many parts of war that's a telltale sign about a money standard shift and inflation and all of that. Um, but, yeah, I'm I'm 100% convinced. I mean, I'm not even giving – I usually give a little margin of error because, hey, who can be absolutely right? But I know I'm absolutely right in this one. That's mm-hmm. where they want us. In fact, they want everything digitized. Right, right. Um, when did, Okay, all right, I, I heard you talking about this with S, on SGT, and this is one of the reasons yes. why I had you on. And it gets really creepy. And this is a really important part of what you're going to talk about right now. Um, and I do want you to, as you're talking about this, let us know what you think the time period is for this to happen, too. So tell me what you're going to talk about this China the IMF and this crypto coin they're working on. Okay. So I'm going to back up a little bit to move forward. Okay. okay. Um, now, in, in, in the 60s, there was a run on the dollar. And then that culminated in Nixon taking us off the gold standard. At that point, we had our treasury, our treasury secretary actually went to the IMF. And I should say 
the um, there are a hundred and God, I could be off on this a little bit, but there are 196 countries in the world. And this I know, 189 of them are members of the IM. Specifically, that is every treasury secretary and every central bank chief of 189 countries. So when Nixon did that, really what was happening, um, and I don't know if your listeners understand this, but as the world reserve currency, what that actually means, and that's a position we've enjoyed since 44. Um, what that actually means is if you are a government or a corporation going outside of your borders to buy anything, lumber, steel, oil, whatever it is, you must do so with U.S. dollars. Now, I know that's been changing um, particularly since 2005, but that bottom line of that means that we are the only country in the world that can actually create from debt the money that we need to pay international bills. And everybody else has to convert their money into dollars in order to buy, let's say, oil. So that's a huge advantage to to us. Do you see what I mean? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. All right. So now that that's kind of the backstory. All right. So when um, Nixon took us off, when there was a big uh, rush to get rid of uh, dollars, they foreign governments were converting their dollars into gold, pulling the gold out of the system. That's why Nixon did that. But um, our Treasury Secretary actually went to the IMF and said, here, take this. We don't want this. <laughs> right? We can't do it anymore. We're losing our status. It's done. And so the SDR, which stands for Special Drawing Rights, and I've done lots of webinars on this, um, was created in 69 to actually take over as the world reserve currency at that time. But, and, and at that point, it was also based on a certain level of gold. But then Kissinger went to Saudi Arabia uh, and they made an agreement and the petrodollar was born. And the agreement was that if that Saudi Arabia would only sell its oil in dollars. And in exchange for that, that means that they would then have an overabundance of dollars. They would turn around and buy our treasury bonds with those dollars. And we would give them um, uh, military support, etc. So that's why we retained that status. But all of the mechanisms that were put in place for the SDR to become the world reserve currency, they just weren't used, but they weren't dismantled. They just kind of slumbered. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the crisis hits in 2008 and 2009. And I mean, and I've been talking about a money standard shift for a long time because I see it coming. Um, but China mentioned the SDR. And as soon as they did, I thought, well, that's got to be it because they don't have to reinvent the wheel. They simply need to tweak the one that's already in place. I mean, everybody has SDRs. If you go into the United States Post Office, you go, go onto their website and put in SDR, you're going to see that that will pop up in the system. 
So that's why I said they don't have to recreate the wheel, just tweak it. And that's what they started doing. In 2011, they actually gave us a template of how they would convert the SDR into the world reserve currency. And one of the things that they needed to do was to create a market for SDRs. That just stands for special drawing rights. It is not a claim against anything. Go on the IMF's website. They will say that all over the place. So whereas a dollar is a debt instrument, so at least in theory you have a claim against the government, no. SDRs are not a claim against anything. But they tested all of those mechanisms that were slumbering in 2009. And they gave everybody 5,000 over the next, that year actually, 5,000% more SDRs than they had. And SDRs are allocated or given. Okay? So that is clearly, I mean, and, and everybody's got to agree. We had to agree in order to allow China into the SDR basket because the SDR, once Nixon took us off the gold standard, then the SDR became a basket of currencies. It did not change until last October, so not even a year ago yet, with the first new currency to be entered in there, and that was the Chinese yuan. And we had to change rules in order to allow that to happen. But China has absolutely been um, chosen to spearhead this transition because China is a technocracy. Right. And it's a communist system. And so the banks and everybody else in that system will do whatever the government dictates that they do. So they were chosen to bring this out. And we had to agree to it. Because up until last December 31st at midnight, we had most of the votes at the IMF. But on December 31st at midnight, because of that inclusion and some other changes, um, there are now enough votes at the IMF to override the U.S. So we've lost the power, regardless of how they want it to look, you know. But the power has shifted to China. Okay. So... The starting point of creating a market in SDRs was um, they, they actually came out, China, uh, along with the World Bank, came out with the first SDR-denominated bond. That was in August. Then China was included in the basket in October. So I've been watching and all of us, I mean, we all pay attention, and fortunately, a lot of our viewers pay attention too, because when somebody sends me something and says, will you take a look at this? I always do, because you never know what you're going to find, and there's only so much that you can pay attention to, and I am closely paying attention to the SDR, because again, you know, I mean, I don't really, you guys don't know me, but I don't really use 100% all the time, but I'm 100% certain that's the name of the next world reserve currency. And one of my um, listeners said, would you take a look at this? And lo and behold, this little company in China 
Um, And the the diagrams are amazing. You know, you saw it. I think everybody needs to go look at it. But Bitcoin and or Ethereum, when uh, used to purchase ACC chain, magically becomes an SDR. Mm -hmm. And their goal is to digitize tangible assets. They started, the test uh, happened, they started at last um, May. I'm pretty sure it was like May 23rd or something like that with tea. So they took a bunch of tea, they put it in a warehouse, and they turned it into a coin. I mean, they didn't physically turn the tea into a coin, but they turned the title, the ownership of that tea into a coin that would, could then be sold wherever it was going to be sold. Not not in the U.S. Apparently, we don't get to participate. But everybody else can participate. So their second test, and they did that with a few things. Um, their second test is happening right now with real estate in Texas. So a mm-hmm. Chinese corporation um, uh, housed in or whose main office is in Hong Kong, Came in and bought. Well, I wonder how they're doing in the flooding. And by the way, I was just going to say, I'm so sorry to hear that. Yeah, me too. But I was just going to say, it made me think of weather wars, like Um. like, uh, getting (laughs) harp involved and everything else. Like screw China, we're just going to blow Texas away. And so you, you're okay. But that's just me being. I don't think they really right. I don't really think they want to blow Texas away. What they really um, no, I'm talking about the people that don't want to don't want. China to succeed with this, what you're going to tell us about the real estate they I have in Texas. I don't want China to succeed with what yeah. I'm about to tell you for sure. I don't want them to succeed. I know. I know. Go on. I'm sorry. That's okay. That's okay. Because what they're doing is they're uh, converting all of that real estate into coins. So they're anticipating that each house on a piece of property is going to go for $275,000. So each coin is worth $1. And if you have 275,000 of them, you can buy that specific piece of real estate. But the coins can actually be traded globally. Now, U.S. citizens cannot, by the way, participate in this. It is up there. You have to, you have to say that you have received this notification before they even let you in this site. So everybody else in the world can buy the land in Texas. That's owned. It's Serene Country Homes is the name of the developer there, but they're really a Hong Kong Chinese company. Um, and their goal is to convert all of this real estate into these digital coins that sit on a foundation of, oh, my goodness, Visa and MasterCard, which means fees, fees. And this way, you can actually spend any of your equity. The examples are even going to the mall or going on a vacation, right? So if you have cryptocurrency, boy, that's just a debit card. And haven't we been, you know, trained to use those cards? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, that also means that that's all, they're all SDRs. That means that all wealth, the title to all tangible wealth would be held inside of SDRs. 
So that is already happening right now. And so their goal of, you know, part one of their goals is to have the global assets just like right now. Um, because we're the quote unquote the world reserve currency, global assets are valued in terms of dollars. You got to use dollars to buy them. Well, that means that they've already begun the transition. So when you ask me about timing, it's already begun. That's why that's such a big deal. Yeah. I mean, I've been watching it. It's so creepy. I mean, I've been watching it evolve for many, many years. But when I went in and I saw that and saw that it's already begun and it's not really de- – it's kind of decentralized, but it's not really decentralized because everything runs through the global node, which is the IMS node, which is the SDR. Wow. Okay. So you told us that you talked to Peter Wood. Yes. Yeah. Oh, no, he, brilliant he, yeah. man. Brilliant yeah, man. He was one of our guests here on Shadow Citizen recently. He's mm-hmm. um, the editor of Technocracy News mm-hmm. and Trends. And you got to meet him personally in person? Uh, well, I did because he lives in Mesa and mm-hmm. I live in Phoenix. And that's not that far apart. So we kind of met in the middle. And um, yeah, quite a brilliant man. I was, I'm very impressed with him. And, and I listened to your interview with him. I thought it was fantastic. Actually, that's why I said I would do this interview because you did such a great job with him. Oh, thank you. I'm glad you, I'm glad you agreed to that. Good. Well, I'm glad to be talking to both of you because I think this is, I feel like I'm getting to the, the crux of the biscuit with mm-hmm. this technocracy, the Bitcoin stuff and what you're telling us about gold and silver and to make this plan this uh the plan with the gold you're talking about the retirement plan outside of the system mm-hmm. yes and i know people could call you up and make an appointment or or do but what is the very what is the basis of that how do you get out of the system well first of all you liquidate your holdings in them for a heartbeat, turn them into dollars, and then you convert them into physical gold and silver that is in your possession and is not contract-based and runs no counterparty risk. You say no. We vote with our pocketbooks. So, you know, again, going back to the strategy and even as an example, I mean, it it really is very simple. This is not complicated. Um, Financial products are made complicated by design because they say if we make them really complicated, nobody questions us because nobody understands it. Even the people that are creating them don't understand the Frankensteins that they've created. But this strategy is really simple. It is really based upon repeatable patterns. So, for example, you know, there are really – Two things that we need to be prepared for right now. Number one, we have to be prepared to sustain our current standard of living through this mess. So for that, you want those fractional pieces or maybe some one ounce uh, silver pieces, but you want a variety of sizes, mostly in silver, and then um, a percentage in gold. Personally, I like a 70-30 mix. Because most of what I do, you know, you're going to go to the gas station, you're going to go to the grocery store, you know, you're going to run into the pharmacy. So for that, you really need silver. 
But for anything that is governmental or quasi-governmental, like any taxes, any utilities, any um, insurances, anything like that, they're going to force you to use dollars. And so that's what you need the fractional um, gold pieces for. But that's really for your day-to-day living, and you're actually going to use that up. I mean, that's the intention. And you need some cash in there, too, because that's your yeah, first Oh, yeah, yeah cash. Tell us about right. cash. How much cash should we have? Well, it depends on your circumstance, um, you know, but I would say that if you are currently, if you currently have um, an income you're working, then, you know, maybe about three to six months worth, you have to do what you're comfortable with. But uh, if there's a bank closure, like, you know, he- here's the thing that's hard to tell, right? In Cyprus, when they uh, put the monetary controls on and they closed the banks, that was 2013, and they didn't open them back up again until uh, and lift the capital controls until 2015. Um, in Greece, they shut them down, you know, June 28th of 2015, and God knows when you're going to be able to get more than $66 worth of cash a day, you know, out of the ATM machines. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's kind of hard exactly to know how long they're going to be shut down, but overall, because when when it really happens here because of our position in the world, then, um, you know, I think it's going to happen pretty quickly. So personally, I like, you know, three to six months. If you're retired, I like a little bit more, maybe six months, nine months, maybe even a year if that's what you're comfortable with. Whatever you're going to hold in cash, what you need to be clear on is that you're either going to use it up or it's going to go to zero and have no value and nobody's going to want it. Like right. the like the Venezuelan Bolivar has more value as a napkin for an empanada. You can't buy anything with it. <laughs> oh, man. And yeah, we're yeah. laughing, but that's No, I know, but it's just true. true. It's true. Right. It's true. Um, so, uh, but for retirement where you're setting up so that you have lifetime income, for that, I like the um, – collectible coins because I mean historically and I did a webinar on this where I looked at the longer term and the shorter term I've never seen the premium so low so if you want growth after you have identified the long-term positive trend and we know that's gold and I can show you and it's technical and all that kind of crap even though the markets are are manipulated you know if you step back with a long-term view you can see it um You know, depending upon what I'm trying to accomplish would determine the um, area of those coins that I would buy. So, uh, for example, you know, I have two daughters. One is a surgeon. One has a bridal salon. And it's my personal intention that when commercial real estate is somewhere near a bottom and we can see those patterns and all that stuff and I give you all that stuff. But when I think we're somewhere near a bottom – and you can hear it, I would never buy a piece of real estate again, black bearish sentiment. I would never buy gold again, blah, blah, blah. Whenever you hear never and real negative sentiment, that is time to test for the true value of that asset or instrument. So you test, you look at the pattern, if you see an accumulation pattern, and then you test the valuation, and then you start to convert into those income-producing assets. You know, maybe like uh, it's got to be critical, critically needed um, real estate because 
states and governments like we're seeing around the world are forced to sell off income producing assets, uh, which hurt them in the long term. But in the short term, it brings them in, you know, money to pay their deficits. But that's what you want to buy. Okay. And then none of the income from that is going to matter while we're in the mess. So if you just kind of don't think about that, but what you want are good, solid tenants in there that can help you, for example, maintain the property. Um, you're properly positioned. You know, if you're in the strategy, you're properly positioned for taxes and maintenance and all this other stuff on the other side of this mess. When the currency has a component of gold in it so that it holds its purchasing power again and people start to trust it again, and that happens 100% of the time, um, then there's your income for the rest of your life. And the real estate doesn't evaporate. For example, it's there. I happen to also like rights, mineral rights, water rights, air rights, you know, all those kinds of things. So there are a whole bunch of of income producing assets that if you're in your retirement plan, you're positioned for them. And what's the point of a retirement plan? To give you income for the rest of your life. When I was a stockbroker, we never talked about running out of money. Now, oh, well, you have enough money to last you till you're 91. Well, what happens if you live till you're 100? You know? Right. Yeah. So in the strategy, frankly, because it's based on a dynastic wealth platform, which is the kind of wealth that lasts in families at least 300 years. It lives through currency regime changes, wars, all that stuff. And that it's just based on that repeatable pattern. Um, you can't outlive your, your wealth. And, and that's, that's the strategy. And that's how you plan for retirement. Cause that's that the is, point. That is it. I'm, I'm calling you after the show and we're going to make an appointment for me. And I want everybody that's listening to this show, if you're interested in all, call Lynette Zhang at itmtrading.com and let her get on the job for you because I, I hate to make a commercial, but she's awesome. And thank oh, you everybody thank you. for turning, tuning in. Well, and I, I want to just say this real quickly because I actually am so busy these days, uh, but my team, we all work together. So I'm, I have to approve everything and I'm part of everything. And, and that's how people can really get, if they want to talk to me, please go through a team member. I'm a hundred percent certain you would be as happy with them as you would if you worked with me. Probably happier because they're really going to take, they're going to have more time to take care of you. Right on. Thanks, Lynette. And thanks, everybody, <laughs> for tuning in. Bye. Yep. Bye-bye.